0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo.
2: Episode 26 of the show, three weeks removed from my most recent episode, of course, which was coming to you from Radio Row, produced a show every day that week leading up to the Super Bowl, and there was one thing missing, my Super Bowl recap show. Now there's a very good reason for why I'm coming to you today with my way too late Super Bowl recap. Got a great guest on, a good friend of mine, former All-Pro linebacker, former Seattle Seahawk Lofa Tatupu will be joining the show, and it's actually his fault. He is the reason why I haven't done a show in three weeks. And I'll explain more when Lofa comes on. I'll let him tell his side of the story of why he told me after the Super Bowl. Now, mind you, this was the fourth year in a row I've covered the big game. First time actually going to the Super Bowl. And that night, I was all geared up to produce a show. I was ready to do one at midnight. A little midnight special, Sorallo Sports Talk. You wake up Monday morning after the Super Bowl. Bam, there's my recap show. But Lofa was the one who called me crazy for wanting to do that. So I'll let him explain why I parlayed my trip to Radio Row in Tampa Bay into a three-week trip from Florida's West Coast to Miami to Fort Lauderdale all the way up to Boynton Beach. So I'll let Lofa explain that. Look, Super Bowl 55, right? Three weeks behind us, but will still impact the upcoming NFL season in so many different ways. You know, Chris Godwin, one of the hottest free agent names, now that he has his ring, does this change his mindset going into free agency? The coaching carousel, look, every coaching vacancy was filled prior to Super Bowl 55. And if you look at the coaching staffs that both Andy Reid and Bruce Arians assembled, I mean, minimum among their coordinators, minimum Three NFL head coaches in those two staffs. Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, the two coordinators for Tampa, and Eric Bieniemy. by the way, spent a lot of time talking about him leading up to Super Bowl 55. Steve Spagnuolo, of course, had his chance, was a head coach. Rams, interim head coach with the Giants, of course. I think he's best suited as a D coordinator, but Bieniemy, Bowles, Leftwich, I mean, these are three guys that... I think if the coaching carousel and interviews and hiring wasn't permitted to start until the day after the Super Bowl, these three guys would all have jobs right now. I mean, and Biennemi, he should have one already, right? He should have had one last offseason. His resume simply speaks for itself. The guy has led the league's most productive, most efficient offense in consecutive seasons, back-to-back Super Bowl appearances, an MVP at quarterback, one of the most explosive wide receivers in the league. I mean, Travis Kelsey this year under Biennemi's offense set all sorts of tight end records for single season receiving. Uh, The guy's incredible. And the schemes that he develops and uh, just the different looks that defenses prepare all week for and then they're still surprised on game day. Biennemi not being a head coach is absolutely ridiculous. I spoke at length about that while I was at Radio Row. But guys like Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles, who deserves another crack because let's Let's be real here. Anything that's done with the Jets shouldn't be counted. The Jets are one of the most dysfunctional organizations in not just football, but all of sports. You got Woody Johnson, who the Johnson family is more concerned with their former ambassadorship to the UK than they are to winning football games. It's ridiculous. So Todd Bowles deserves another crack. You saw that. I mean, I know Kansas City's offensive line was bruised and battered, and you can argue missing their four best offensive linemen from the preseason. But God, what Tampa Bay did to them, they abused them, they tortured them. Patrick Mahomes running 498 yards behind the line of scrimmage before he can even get a pass-off in Super Bowl 55, absolutely absurd. And furthermore, it's proof that this loss has nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes. If your takeaway three weeks later, three weeks after Super Bowl 55, is, oh, maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't everything that we cracked him up to be, you're nuts, You're wrong, you're crazy, you're delusional. Patrick Mahomes is still an all-time talent. Now, unfortunately, because Kansas City lost this game to Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mahomes might never be able to hold the crown of GOAT, of the best quarterback of all time, because even if he goes on to win seven, eight Super Bowls as his career progresses, and look, we're jumping the gun, right? He's been to two, he's won one, but he's only 25 years old. And I don't see another team in the AFC slowing down the Chiefs anytime soon. You know, I mean, I thought the Buffalo Bills would do it this season. They'll do it eventually, but I don't know if the Ravens will have their opening. I don't know if the Browns will be able to take down Kansas City. You know, Buffalo is your best chance right now, but the Kansas City Chiefs are going to go to many more Super Bowls as long as Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback. And even if he wins seven when his career is all said and done, the fact that he lost this head-to-head matchup to Tom Brady Means that he will never hold the title of the greatest quarterback of all time. But that's fine, because Mahomes still has a limitless future. The ceiling, the potential for Patrick Mahomes, there is none. There's no ceiling for him. The potential is through the roof. So I can't wait to see what he does, how he bounces back. Look, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Chiefs take this and they go win the Super Bowl next year. Right? You could see like what the New England Patriots did from 2017 to 2019. You win your first Super Bowl in in a three-year stretch, right? They beat Atlanta. You lose the second. You're a little hungover. The Eagles got the best of them. That was the Chiefs this year with Tampa. Then what did New England do? The very next year, they went out. They beat the Rams in Atlanta. You can see the Chiefs do the same thing next year because for Patrick Mahomes, coming in second place isn't good enough, and that's what makes him at just 25 years old so absolutely incredible. But 0% of this was his fault. I mean, he made some incredible off-balance throws in the in the air. I, I, as he's getting rushed, on average, he had just two and a half seconds in the pocket to get rid of the ball. I mean, that offensive line had an all-time piss-poor performance for Kansas City. And I know that they were down to backups at most positions. I don't care. You're an NFL lineman. Protect your damn quarterback. But they couldn't. And Dominick and Sud, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Devin White, in the backfield all night long from start to finish. If anything, the first quarter, Kansas City had a little bit of a chance. I had some hope for them. I was rooting for the Chiefs while I was at the game. But once that second quarter turned, it was all Tampa all the time. And the Chiefs didn't have a chance. And the sad thing is, it really came down to three plays. That eliminated the Chiefs from contention in this ball game. It was three killer plays in the first half. The first being... That third down defensive holding called on Tyron Matthew, which I thought was an all-time terrible call. I mean, the ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage. Once the ball's tipped, for all, you know, for all the rules are concerned, you can go mug a guy and to call defensive holding there in the second quarter when the score was 7-3 to three Tampa and the Bucks were driving third down. They would have had to punt. They were on, I believe, the Kansas City 40-45. Would have had to punt. And that awful call extended that buccaneers drive eventually taking the game from 7 to 3 to 14 to 3 then you've got an incredibly rare coaching blunder andy reed calling a timeout when the buccaneers had third and 2 and 43 seconds were left on the clock in the second quarter in the first half of 14-6 ball game andy reed gets greedy calls a timeout there for some reason trusted his defense to get a stop They hadn't done so all night long. When they did, penalties brought it back. Trusts his defense too much and calls timeout there, giving Tom Brady an easy third and two five-yard completion to Rob Gronkowski to prolong that drive. And then instead of running the clock out, which Tampa Bay was doing on the first two plays of that drive, then they get the first down and they think, oh crap, we've got time to score. And what do they do? Next play, Third and final killer of the first half. They go deep to Mike Evans. Brashad Breeland brushes him with his fingers. Trips, clear as day. No intention there. Just gets called for what I thought was the most ticky-tack pass interference I've seen all season. Next thing you know, the game's 21-6 at halftime. And it was over right then and there. So, Super Bowl 55, absolutely incredible experience. So glad I finally got to go to the game for the first time. An absolute dud of a game. Absolute dud. The Chiefs' O-line was horrendous. They had three plays single-handedly take them out of the game. And Andy Reid, you know, I I mentioned that that timeout was an incredibly rare coaching blunder. His head wasn't in it. In fact, a lot of guys on the Chiefs didn't seem like their heads were in it. Patrick Mahomes was. Mahomes' head was in the game the whole time. Travis Kelsey's head was in it. But, I mean, you know, you've got Mahomes out there. Uh, escaping pressure, running 500 yards before he can even get his passes off by the time the game was over. And still, in midair, off-balance, hits two of his guys in the face mask. One, Tyreek Hill, a perennial pro bowler. The other, Darrell Williams, a backup running back. Uh, I mean, these are potentially game-altering drops. One of them was on fourth down, and Mahomes, who really doesn't get on his teammates too much, you just saw the baffled look of frustration his hands in the air. I mean, he just felt totally defeated and Kansas City felt defeated the whole time. Andy Reid looked defeated a couple nights before the Super Bowl, of course, a couple nights before the team, the Kansas City Chiefs, left for Tampa Bay because remember, they didn't get there until Saturday, the day before the game. Reid's son involved in that horrendous car crash where he was obviously drinking and ended up injuring a a small child. Absolutely terrible and you can't blame Andy Reid, right? This is, this is what happens when you mix family and football. Reed's son is part of the coaching staff, so now they're without a linebacker's coach. And Andy Reid, understandably so, is more invested in his son's well-being, his son's future, the well-being of that child who was in critical condition, than he was Super Bowl 55. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it was obvious, it was blatant, the Chiefs were not prepared, and this is a Chiefs team that is the best prepared team in the league every damn week. So for them to not be prepared on the biggest stage in the Super Bowl, there was obviously some behind-the-scenes stuff going on there that took their heads out of it. Now, when we come back, you're going to find out why it took me three weeks to have this damn discussion with you to do the show with all-pro linebacker, former Seattle Seahawk great Lofa Tatupu. Stick with us. He'll be right on. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Seralo. <gasps>
1: Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe.
2: back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show, it's a familiar face, my buddy, former All-Pro Seattle Seahawks linebacker, Lofa Tatupu. Lofa, thanks for coming on, bro.
1: Always, C. Thank you for having me, brother.
2: Yeah, it's great to see you again. Great to talk to you. You know, I alluded to this at the beginning of the show, and I just want people to know the reason that I've taken a three-week hiatus from this show from Sorallo Sports Talk is really not my own fault. It's because of you, so why why don't you tell everyone listening what happened the night of the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, so you know the Super Bowl game was great and everything, and then uh, I get a text message, and I know you were there, so yeah. I get a text message. I believe it was like nine o'clock my time, so like midnight over there. Game probably just got over, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is how dedicated to the craft my man is. He said, "Hey, I'm about to hurry back to the you know hotel." set up, shop, and, and do a, a post game Will you jump on. I said, absolutely not. I will not jump <laughs> on. I go, you are 22 years old, my man. You just witnessed a Super Bowl. You just witnessed hit history with Tom Brady. That place is going to be going wild. I want you to go out and party responsibly. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, it's my fault. I, I didn't tell him to take three weeks off, though. So, you can <laughs> on whatever details happen, you know, post game. But um, I think... You would you would agree it was it was a trip you know worth staying for, right?
2: Yeah, I would say party responsibly is what I did. I uh I ended up going from a midnight post-game recap show to ordering endless lobster and steak tartare at an after party at 1 a.m. And uh, it was a pretty good time in Tampa. You
1: my man, you are never gonna forget that. <laughs> and then as well, you could tell them what happened post uh, you know, the next because you stayed there a little longer after, I guess, but I'm telling you, that is going to be more memorable than doing a radio show with me if we had had done our radio show.
2: Yeah, I mean, no offense. You know I love you, but I would say, yeah, that was a little more memorable. Just just a little bit. And the biggest fall from grace, by the way, I went from that bottomless lobster legs and steak tartare at 1 a.m. the night of the game to the following night, catching a ride over to the East Coast, winding up in the ghetto of West Palm Beach the very next day, and going from five star restaurant after party from the Super Bowl to ordering dinner at an IHOP in the hood, not knowing where the hell I was about 18 hours later.
1: I dig IHOP. I dig. <laughs> if you like me some good IHOP, you know, hopefully that could be a sponsor of ours later. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but you know, like like I said, man, you know, um, actually, we, we, we texted about this yesterday. Life is short. And, you know, because we texted about this, Yesterday was the 11th anniversary of my dad passing. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, you got to create memories, my man. And so I'm glad that you took my advice and and you created memories. And um, I believe you said it it possibly led to some opportunities. Are we allowed to discuss? Yeah. um,
2: You know, I I think I want to keep those opportunities uh, quiet for a little bit. One of them is with a station that you're very familiar with. And uh, so you'd still be able to come on as a, you know, potentially regular spot, which would be amazing. The other might be uh, me diving into the world of reality television. So we'll see what happens.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. A a
2: lot of fun things in the works. Hey, let's talk about the game because we were texting while I was at the game and uh, you said that the officiating was the worst Super Bowl officiating crew that you've seen since Super Bowl 40, which you played in. (laughs) (laughs) how awful was it especially the first half
1: i may have exaggerated a little bit i might have been getting a little caught up in the moment um but uh there there was a couple calls that i really and it didn't determine the game Mm -hmm. like it did you know super bowl 40 but there was a couple of calls that were just the um the two uncatchables you know those passenger appearances and then also the holding on the corner when
2: on uh, third down
1: when honey Badger. Uh, or you know, I don't know if he wants to go by that to so Matthew when he caught the interception that that had nothing, it really wasn't a hold, but it had nothing to do with the play. And the ball was even tipped, so uh, I didn't understand that call. Um, but then, yeah, the other two the one the other two that Mike Evans, the one that was you know over the head, the guy got tripped. It's really, it was really incidental contact for Sean sure. yeah,
2: and his fingertips brushed him, if anything,
1: yeah, and and I don't think. I don't think Mike was going to catch that ball. It, it, would look, it looked like he was getting ready to pull up, which it's almost like fate happened. Uh, a brilliant trip on his feet because Mike pulled up just one step because he knew it wasn't catchable. But it was so bam, bam that they are like, okay, we're going to throw a flag on interference. And then the other one, the ball hit the backstop when um, Tyron Mack was holding his ground. Yeah, you could get him for maybe illegal contact, but not pass interference when that ball is uncatchable. But ultimately it was the interception that was like, for me, I was like, wow, like that's, you know, you can't, you can't call that one. But uh, Gronk was off sides on that long catch. (laughs) I think there was an illegal shift that on on second or third and short when they were trying to run the clock out with eight minutes that, you know, just could have gave Kansas city another opportunity with the ball. But look, they got outplayed, man. Like they just got straight up outplayed on top of a couple bad calls. It, It didn't affect the game the way it affected, you know, Super Bowl 40.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, look, I mean, they were clearly overmatched. And, and, you know, uh, I don't want anyone to make any mistake about it. The offensive line of Kansas City was what this game came down to, right? Uh, Mahomes running 498 yards behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, has a Um, quarterback ever done that? I know it was the most this season, but uh, that's absurd.
1: He he took a lot of heat. I mean, obviously, no pun intended, but (laughs) he took a lot of heat by the press and the media after – um, that he didn't have a good game. But how many drops did we see? How many times did we see him get out of pressure situations? Mm. A couple spirals. The one where he was just horizontal, parallel to the ground, and flicked it, like, almost underarm to uh, the running back. To Darren and the, Williams. They hit him in the face mask. <laughs> that hit him in the face mask. The long one of Tyreek hit him in the face mask. Yeah. Kelsey yeah. had a third and ten drop that I don't think I've ever seen that guy drop a ball in the last four years. Um, it They just – they looked out of rhythm, out of sorts. Um, it was it was a, it was a tough night for them, and um, you know we'll see that could linger into the next season. You know that that's a losing the Super Bowl, as I know, is a tough road getting back because you know you already got the target on your back in terms of being one of the best teams from the year before. Mm-hmm. But um, you know it's something about losing that game. I mean, you look at the Rams; they didn't make the postseason after they lost. You look at. Uh, the Niners just a year ago, um, and they had a lot of injuries, but you know they didn't even make the postseason um, this past year. So something about losing that game um, that is just—it just, it just it's the hangover, man.
2: Yeah, well, I think actually, you know, you mentioned the Rams and the Niners. I believe we're on nine straight seasons of one of the final four teams in the NFL playoffs missing the Super Bowl the following year. I think it's happened nine straight years. The Niners, obviously, the Rams. Um, You know, you had the year where the Vikings and Jags were both in the conference championship. They missed, both of them missed the playoffs the next year. So it'll be interesting to see Green Bay, Tampa, Kansas City, Buffalo, if one of those teams keeps that streak
1: alive. Yeah, it goes back. The the Super Bowl hangover is what they call it, you know, for the losing team. That's a real, a real curse. But one, I'm glad to say we snapped in 05. (laughs) We went back to the playoffs after losing that game in 06. Um, And then um, even the Seahawks, of 14 when they lost to the Patriots, they went right back to 15. So, um, you know, it's – I think there's only like four teams in the history of the Super Bowl that lost that were able to get back to the playoffs. At least that was the stat back um, before the last Seahawks team, the 14 team, went back.
2: And, and talking about the the more recent Seahawks Super Bowl, if they, if they don't lose that game to New England, right, if they just hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch there – it makes you wonder, does that team ever lose again? I mean, if they're going two straight Super Bowls and they don't have that huge hit to their momentum, like that goal line pick, I mean, could they have been a 3 P team? What do you think was the ceiling for that squad?
1: Man, you know, it's a good point because there, there wasn't many people that they lost in the subsequent years in terms of free agency. I can't – I'm trying to think. They didn't really lose any of their guys that, you know, they – Byron Maxwell went to Atlanta – or Philly, um, you know, there there's a couple guys that they lost, but it wasn't it wasn't any of their core guys in terms of you know the Sherman, you know, the Legion of Boom, Bobby KJ, even Cliff and Mike Mike B were back. You know, it was um, so it, who knows, man. I, that that's really a scary thing to think that if they do have that that win, there's there's an error of confidence that just I remember we had with the same head coach at SC Pete Carroll. Yep. And um, in, uh, in my three years there, um, I got to start two years. We went 25 and one. And and then when I left, they went 13, 13 and one. They lost in the or 12 and one. They lost the national championship to Texas. But it felt like we were never going to lose uh, at one point.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was the Trojans that, that I grew up with. Definitely not the Trojans of today. But uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I remember just every week, I, I'll be honest, I mean, I remember rooting against you guys because it was just like I got tired of watching you guys win every week. I'm going to be oh, totally honest man. here. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm glad you weren't on the team against Texas. But I, I was rooting for Texas because it was just like every year USC is winning this game. Enough's enough.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's, it doesn't happen often, you know. Um, I mean, until Saban went to Bama, we didn't see – a dynasty. And I mean, he's had he's had like three great groups of you know, two or three titles in, in four years. We're talking about seniors. There was one group that I think they won three titles and they they lost in the playoffs. So there's a group of seniors out there that went to Bama that have three national titles, and uh, you know, I mean, well heck, if they if they redshirted, I think they had four national titles.
0: Yeah, uh, that's in, true.
1: In one of those gaps, which is unbelievable. But um yeah, you know, it just for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And uh, I'll have to go back and examine why, you know, check out, did coaches, you know, leave for, because, you know, you think about like, like Urban Meyer was in Utah. He developed a powerhouse. They went undefeated. Then he went to uh, Florida, had a run of three or four years where they were competing. They won a title, goes to Ohio State, does it again. So be interesting to see what he does at Jacksonville. now.
2: Yeah, I definitely want to get your thoughts on that in a second. But Last point on the Super Bowl, because you mentioned uh, in my monologue, I detailed three plays that really just killed Kansas City, took them out of it. One was the awful holding call on Ward, where Matthew had the pick. Ball was tipped. Ward could have mugged him. You know, once the ball's tipped, a- anything goes. Terrible call. The other was the pass interference on Breland with Evans on the ball that was uncatchable. The third play, and this was the Chiefs doing it to themselves, Andy Reid calling timeout. Third and two for Tampa. They're letting the clock run out before the half. Was the it half, it's a one possession game, an eight point game. What are you thinking of th- that was going through Reed's mind? I mean, I-, I talked about, you know, obviously a lot of distraction going on with his son and the tragic accident that occurred right before that. Do you think Andy Reed was mentally all in in that Super Bowl?
1: No, I think I think he, he's a pro and he's been doing it long enough. No, I'm, I'm not going to speculate as to his mind frame. I know. He, You know, his heart was with that family, you know, and, and his son and everybody's well-being. But, um, you know, his his mind frame, because of the way it happened, this is this is football, man. This is life. You make decisions and you live with it. And he wanted to use the timeouts, get Mahomes the ball back. Because, you know, at any moment, Mahomes can can make magic happen. Um, and, like, the first time they played, Tyreek had 200 yards in the first quarter. I mean, yeah. so – it's um I don't fault them for it but when um I think there was a when it sputtered or whatever when that that uh they threw that long ball it was like man you just knew it was going to happen you're like okay they got the flag there it's like oh no we're potentially going to go down 21-6 instead of 14-6 getting the ball back and that just created you know added tension i guarantee for for the players to to now go into half like all right look They handed us our ass in the first half. And, and now we gave, we let them, you know, have a free touchdown because of two penalties. And then, you know, they pushed it across. Cause I really thought earlier on when they made that goal line stand, I was like, okay, you know, never been a 99 yard drive. This, this is like the only thing left for Mahomes to do in his young career, have a 99 yard touchdown drive. But yeah, man, um, that was, that was crucial, man. That a, a score right before the half. And, uh, and you were talking about offensive lines. You got to give it to Tampa's offensive line. They were, man, they were moving that line of scrimmage. And, uh, you know, Lenny Playoff, or whatever they want to call him, Fournette, yeah. uh, he had himself a day.
2: No, it was wild. You know, I actually said, I think this was the last episode I did, the Friday before the Super Bowl. I said, ultimately, it's going to come down to which quarterback gets the most pressure, right? That's, that's going to be the quarterback who caves in and loses. We've seen it with Brady, the Super Bowls that he has lost. He's gotten hit. You know, I mean, my Giants were in the backfield all day, both those games. So I I said, if Brady only gets sacked once, Tampa Bay is going to come out of this victorious. I said, you're going to have to sack him multiple times. He gets sacked early. I'm like, all right, Kansas City came to play. Only sack of the night, got sacked once. Sure enough, he got comfortable, man.
1: What did I tell you before the game, too? I said, yeah, I I had Gronk down as the MVP. That's right.
2: And, And I took Kelsey. I took a long shot on Kelsey.
1: Well, and you know what? You know why Tom threw it to Antonio? Gronk was wide open, and and that's the first read on that play action. That would have been Gronk's third touchdown, and it's hard not to give Gronk the MVP at that point. So conspiracy theory, Tom wanted the MVP. He threw it to Antonio uh, instead of Gronk.
2: Man, I'm sorry, I think, and I think you as a linebacker appreciate this. Everyone on Tampa Bay's defense deserved that MVP more than Brady.
1: I I I can't say more than Brady because you you hold Patrick
2: Mahomes to nine points. He's never been held to nine points in his NFL career, let alone in the Super Bowl.
1: That's true, and it's you know you know a record breaking offense, much much like what you know the uh, the thirteen Hawks did to Peyton Manning, held him to eight points.
2: Right. I mean, Tom Brady also he won the. What
1: was that? I got Malcolm Smith. You know, fight on, Trojan. He came home with the the hardware, the MVP. So you're right, Maybe uh levante david and uh and devin white just man they played their asses off devin white's Uh, amazing he is he unbelievable he is fun to watch i can't believe you know how fast that guy is when he you know diagnoses it and then he just goes and gets it and um you know he's just he's dangerous man whether he's rushing the passer dropping back he's got a great feel for coverage um and then um levante david one of the most underrated guys of the last decade uh, right there with my guy, KJ Wright, in terms of not getting <laughs> enough shot. Uh, he, they, they put him on Kelsey and they said, Hey, we're going to man him up and let's go. And um, that was uh, he had like two or three pass breakups, almost picked one off. It was impressive. I've never seen anybody give Kelsey any kind of problems like that.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, and Kelsey still had what, 10 receptions for 130. And, and it was like yeah. the most mundane buck 30 performance of his career.
1: It was, I mean, but it's just, it was, it was some timely, you know, plays on the ball um, and tackles that he made kept keeping them just short of a first down. And um, so they got some decisions to make. I think he's a free agent. So you know we'll see, we'll see how him and Shaq Barrett, we're going to see how much they can keep that, that team intact.
2: It's going to be tough. Levante, Shaq, Chris Godwin, and Domican, all free agents. Oh, wow. uh, I mean, Godwin, I feel like is going to walk. You got to keep, try to keep Shaq and Levante in my opinion.
1: I agree. I agree you know brady's I think-
2: gonna find guys antonio will come back on the cheap to you know to play with tom you still got mike evans i think the offense is fine even without godwin but hey last point i want to make on the super bowl and i want to tie this into something you brought up earlier one of the best moments to me after the game watching antoine winfield jr embrace his dad antoine winfield who by the way i believe picked off brady years ago like two decades ago I'm talking when he was with Minnesota and Brady was starting out watching the two of them embrace at the end of the game. You mentioned of course yesterday being the 11th anniversary of your dad's passing, your dad being a new England legend. I mean, just talk about what, what it means to have your dad, uh, you know, coach you and groom you in, in your football career, because I know personally, for me, everything I've done in sports, whether it's been playing them, talking about them, it's all because of my dad kind of paving the way for me in my younger years.
1: Yeah, man, that's uh, everybody's dad, you know, for the most part, that's that's Superman, man. That's uh, that's your hero. That's who you want to be like and, you know, who I always looked up to. And, um, you know, I wanted to do what dad did. And so I followed in his footsteps, you know, on the football field. And, um, you know, it was special to see, you know, Antoine, who I think is one of the greatest competitors that I've ever seen, man, um, that guy, his numbers—if you look them up—I mean, they're, they're they're right there in terms of like Hall of Fame worthy. So, um, but to 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 see him and his son embrace, because uh, you know, Tuan—I don't think he got to play in a Super Bowl—but to see his son start as a rookie, you know, play it all the way through, ball out, and then win it—it it was incredible, man. And uh, and yeah, just just like you know, my dad, um, I'm sure. Um, you know, junior, Antoine Winfield Jr., he, he looked up to his pops and just, he played ball the way he plays ball because of his dad and, you know, and knowing how much his dad did on and off the field. And um, I know you saw my Insta. It's kind of special to come full circle. It's all It all happened right around the anniversary of my dad's passing. But the first ever where I really wanted to follow his footsteps was off the field. Mm-hmm. He, was one, he had one of the biggest hearts and um, just always giving back to the community. And when I was young, one of the first events I ever got to go to was a Special Olympics event. Um, He brought me along to a charity event and uh, it stuck with me, man. And so when I went to the Pro Bowl, me, Marcus Trufant and some of the other Seahawks, we would always do the the punt, pass and kick with the Special Olympics, man. And um, so then I just recently got challenged to do the the polar plunge. And uh, I had no idea what it was, but there was uh, (laughs) Jeffrey Cull, a Special Olympic athlete, challenged me. And you know, so I'm just on Instagram. I see my name pop up, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got you, man. Let's do this. And then everybody's like, yo, do you know what that is? And I was like, I have no idea, but I'm gonna do it. And then they're like, okay, you got to jump in, you know, a body of water or throw some freezing water on you. I go, no problem. And, uh, <laughs> so I had fun with that. And uh, but it's special because um, that's who my dad raised me to be. And um, I always, you know, the legacy that you leave behind. No one's gonna remember that you played football. Couple more years from now, no one's gonna remember that I played football, and that's fine with me. Um, it's, it's what I'm doing with with my company, Zone in CBD, um, helping you know people with their health and wellness journey and live their best life, and uh, and the stuff I can still do with the charity, uh, and the Seahawks, unbelievable organization. They keep me involved, and I couldn't be happier and more grateful for for what I'm doing.
2: It's incredible, man. And you know, obviously, I saw that. I think we texted about the Special Olympics and the Polar Plunge. I love that you did that you know my older brother is autistic and when I saw that you did that for Special Olympics I loved it that uh that reality show which I'm not going to name yet that is uh is recruiting me at the moment there is actually even though it is kind of like a dating reality show there is a monetary prize it's also a competition and they asked me what I would do with the prize and I I laid out three things one of which was donate a portion of that to the Special Olympics so I really love that you did that for them and you got injured in the process didn't you
1: Oh my God. I cut my feet up worse than, I don't know if that, that whole beach bottom was laced with, with glass. But, <laughs> so I mean, I ran in there and it's so cold. I actually ran out of it faster than I ran into it. And, um, in the process, I get home, drive all the way home. I still can't feel my feet or my hands barely. And, uh, I walk up to the, to the, to the shower to take a shower and, uh, there's there's just blood all over the the bathroom floor, and uh, oh, God. I was like, "What is that?" And I had like three holes, like two in my left and one in my right. And I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna be just fine. It was a small price to pay. And the water's still coming out of my left ear. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I'm sure it was all worth it, man. That was awesome. I appreciate you doing that.
1: Yeah, right on, man. No, it was, it's a, it was amazing. It's a great pause and um you know, I was happy to to do that. You know, and donate and. Um, and help a friend that, that runs uh, one of the donation pages, help her reach her goal. Um, she was able to raise, raise a couple thousand dollars. And it's, uh, it, was, it was incredible, man.
2: That's amazing. Now, you know, when you, when you talk about your dad and everything he did off the field and wanting to, you know, follow in his footsteps in that respect, you're wearing your shirt right now, your incredible company, Zone in CBD. How much did your dad, obviously he wasn't around when you started the company, but how much did he influence you to start that company, knowing that your product could really help other people, just like it helped you.
1: Yeah, it changed my life, and I'm forever grateful. Um, you know, leaving ball, man, it, it it left me with ten surgeries, fifteen plus concussions. The concussions was was obviously the the, the hardest to, to overcome. Whether it was you know cognitive issues, you know already having memory lapses and uh, focus, you know concentration problems, it was uh, it was scary man, as early as thirty years old and. Uh, I found it right around, I was 34, I'm thir- 33, 34, I'm 38 now. And the last five years have been the greatest of my life. And uh, shortly before my dad passed away, uh, a couple months, um, he was out here was we spending Christmas with us. And, um, you know, he was just, he looked at me and he asked me, he goes, Hey, Loaf, you know, do you ever wonder why we're here? And uh, you know, I, I had no idea what he was asking at the time. He was like, I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I was like, what do you mean? My house in Bellevue? <laughs> and, and, and he was like, nah, he's like, what's our purpose in life? And I was like, my dad have never gotten like, you know, deep or philosophical, like ever, you know, we talked ball, we joked around, we played golf, but it was, there was, it was never on that level. And, um, and I was like, "No, nah, dad, I don't, I don't know, man. I thought, I thought you and your experience and wisdom was going to tell me why we're here. And, um, and he's like, all right, well, just, he goes, that's something to think about. And so, I was 27 at the time this was 11 years ago and I had no I had no idea what 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 the purpose in life was man I was just a kid and um he passed away a couple months later and um you know it wasn't until I started gaining perspective because of full spectrum oil cbd and you know really appreciating everything in life just like I told you man these moments um you know don't take advantage of don't take them for granted and so with that, you know, the CBD really helped put things in perspective and, and me appreciate having him, you know, for 27 years, as opposed to being sad that he was gone at 54. And with, with the right perspective, anything's possible. And um, and it even taught me what the real purpose in life the purpose in life is to serve, man, and help others. We, you know, we're here for such a short amount of time. Help as many people as you can, because like I said, football, they're not going to remember that. But uh, we live on by what we do, and, you know, in terms of helping others. And my dad lived a life full of purpose. And that's why I don't get sad. Man, I text you when you hit me up, you're like, hey, man, I'm sorry. And I was like, hey, you know, the day doesn't bother me. Um, little things like I wish you could see his grandkids because he always wanted grandkids. Yeah. Th- yeah. Those, And it doesn't bother me. It's just I wish. I wish you could see it. But I look, I know I'm going to see my dad again. Hopefully not soon. Sorry, right. dad. But um, it's just having the right perspective in life allows me to look back fondly instead of being a sad. Like my the first year or two, it's it's tough, man. You know, like anybody out there that's lost somebody, I'm sorry. And, you know, the grieving process, I'm not telling anybody how to grieve. I'm just asking them, asking them if they could take a step back and, and appreciate the times that they had with that person. And I think, you know, just carry them on with your heart and your energy and, and that's how they, that's how we all will live on, you know, forever.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, taking a step back is so crucial. And you and I text about this all the time, you know, with different things, whether it's the positives, the negatives, but perspectives, everything. And in order to gain that, you got to take that step back, man. You're 100 percent right. Hey, I, I want to talk about your Seahawks now because they're making headlines. Apparently, about a third of the teams in the National Football League have inquired about Russ Wilson via trade after Russ came out and said he'd like a little bit more say in the personnel decisions. What, what did you think? Did that seem out of character for Russ to come out and say that, or do you agree with him?
1: I think it's tough. Anytime, you know, it's, we, we you have the quarterbacks, it's, it's the game's different than back when I played even, you know, these guys are, they're commanding almost a quarter, you know, of the salary cap. And so with that, it really has, it becomes the quarterback's part of the conversation and, and, you know, you got, they got to be happy. Right. And, uh, but the tough part is, is when a player starts to say, well, you know, I need say in personnel, you know, Uh, because, okay, what if you do give them some, some say in the personnel, you start signing some guys and it doesn't work out. What, what happens then? And that's where I, you know, and in my biggest, because I've done a couple of these already where people have asked me how much say should he have. Russ is one of the greatest players in Seahawks history, obviously, possibly the best. But we got to think about some of the guys that were the best at their sport at the time, John Elway and, and Michael Jordan. Now, I know Elway's got a title, you know, with Peyton Manning, at, but before that, he hadn't found a quarterback and this is a guy that was the greatest quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time in basketball. Debatable. <laughs> uh, you're okay. You're right. It is. It is the but but did he not have trouble? Like after he oh, left absolutely. the game, finding, I mean, what, Kwame Brown, no disrespect to Kwame Brown, but uh um, was one of his picks. There's a couple other picks and they just didn't pan out. And he was picking, you know, high when it's like, okay, the, the odds of, Selecting a player that can turn your franchise around should be good. And Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, should be able to find a quarterback. Now, he was able to sign one in paid Manning, right? But um, in terms of finding one and developing, and, you know, maybe that goes on, you know, the coaching too. But I, I'm just trying to make a point that just because you're the best at, at something doesn't mean you always know what's best for, you know, the personnel.
2: Yeah, I mean, being loaded with talent doesn't make you the best talent evaluator. But uh, I will say in terms of Elway, I had uh, one of his defensive studs on at Radio Row, Kareem Jackson. And I know Kareem thinks that uh, Elway should be on the phone right now with Houston to get Deshaun over in Denver because, man, they have just missed consecutively. Brock Osweiler, Drew Locke, I, I mean, Denver. Paxton, outside Lynch. Yeah. yeah, Paxton Lynch. I-, I don't think any quarterback from that draft class with Lynch, by the way, is on the team that drafted him.
1: No, I don't think so either. Um, and it, I mean, it's tough. Quarterback's the hardest position to play. That In all corner, sports. That and cornerback. I mean, those two are just, I mean, you're you're on your own.
2: Yeah, linebacker, anyone can play. but Anybody.
1: <laughs> even, even a 5'11 Samoan from Massachusetts.
0: Right?
2: <laughs> but, who, uh, who, who's dumb enough to go from San Diego to Maine for college football. I mean, <laughs> what the hell seemed like a good I, idea I, about
1: that? No, no, no. I grew up in Massachusetts. No, so. I
2: know, I know, I know. Oh, but still, Maine, I mean, you might as well just go play in the CFL right out of high school.
1: <laughs> oh man, go easy on my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's um, it, it's tough. So I I don't know how much you know say you give you give somebody you know a player because it's just um, you know, John Schneider is one of the greatest GMs in the league, if not the greatest. And you look at what he's been doing through the draft and you know, the, the the caliber of players that he's brought in here. I mean, he's already, including Russ, Bobby. These are, you know, two potential first ballot Hall of Famers. I believe they're both Hall of Famers, but now they're just building on first ballot.
2: I'm and, glad that's uh, where you went, because I, I agree. I think they're locks for the Hall. It's just a matter of first ballot or not.
1: Yeah, and another year for Bobby, and I think he checks all the boxes in terms of first ballot. He's right there. I, I think he's first ballot, but it's always up to the writers. I'm not going to say anybody's first ballot if they didn't put T.O. in first ballot. And I mean... Well, was, I mean,
2: the writers just didn't like T.O. You, you know what that's about.
1: I didn't get that, though. He gave them all the sound bites that they love and they used. And so, like, yeah. if anybody should have went in, he probably should have went in while he's playing.
0: Uh, this
2: uh, is why I'm happy to be a broadcaster, not a writer. Because the writers always... They always get hurt about something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well... So, I mean, but, but you know, you look at Richard Sherman, he's right there, most dominant corner of his generation. He's, he's uh, up there for Hall of Fame. Earl Thomas, um, you know, uh, for what he's done on the field, man, I mean, you got to take that into consideration. And I know things haven't have gone great with Baltimore uh, after, after that first year. But um, I mean, man, the resumes, they, they got some probably three or four guys that, that John's drafted. They're a Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, I
0: mean,
2: you can even argue Chancellor, if he played longer, was a shoe in but the length of his yeah. career might actually hurt him there.
1: Yeah. So He, he was I,
2: dominant, though. I mean, best safety duo in the league for the time that they were together.
1: Man, it was incredible. That, And that's that's the crazy part. You know, that 2010 class, Russell Ocum, pro bowler. Earl Thomas, pro bowler seven or eight times. Uh, second round, Golden Tate, baller, pro bowler. Yeah. Uh, third round I think was EJ Wilson out of Carolina he was good he just got hurt he broke his hand and then he came back and hurt his knee Uh, fourth round was that Walter I think it was Walter Thurman baller Uh, fifth round Cam Chancellor Uh, sixth round Jamison Khan seventh round Dexter Davis Dexter Davis had he not hurt his hip he was the Pac-10 player or Pac-12 player of the year at the time that guy he would have been an eight to 10 sack guy a year that they got in the seventh round. And, um, and he just, he, 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 needed surgery for his hip. Great kid. But, um, and it's hard to say that that's the best draft because 11 brought um, KJ, Sherm, um, Malcolm Smith and a couple, a couple other guys I'm trying to think about. And then 12, I mean, you got, you got uh, Bobby and, and Russ.
2: Yeah. You got your guy, your franchise.
1: So it's I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead. I know in Russ we trust, but no, in John we trust. John Schneider, man, he's doing his thing, and he'll he'll, he'll, he'll make it uh, another couple of Pro Bowlers and Hall of Famers in the, in the future. I know he will.
2: Oh, he, he definitely will. By the way, two things. Most impressive takeaway from that, your memory. Weren't you still playing in 2010? Wasn't that like the I tail end of your career?
1: I was zoned in, bro. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, 2010 was my last year.
2: And-, and so for you to have that draft class memorized round by round – that that CBD must be doing wonders for you because that's wild. That's what,
1: that's what it is, man. It's brought me back, not just physically, but also. <laughs> after. That's that's the zone in part, man. Enter the yeah. zone, man.
2: That, that is that is wild. Second biggest takeaway, Russ O'Kung, by the way, best businessman in the NFL. What he did, taking that salary, half of it in Bitcoin. I mean, are you in crypto at all?
1: I'm not really. I don't know anything about it. Um, I don't well, think anyone um,
0: does.
1: No, I don't think even Russ does. But no, yeah, you know, he. I mean. Well, yeah, whatever it was, the half is worth like double or triple what he put in for it. So yeah. it's like, that's great. But I mean, I don't, who knows what's going to go on, but I'm happy for it. is one of the best guys, you know, on and off the field. But I mean, that class, man, you could just see that there was a different era of athlete, you know, not only coming to the Seahawks, but coming into the NFL. And I mean, you look at these guys now, because I get asked the question, what's the biggest difference? I was like, look, bigger, faster, stronger. It just keeps going. We didn't have any receivers that looked like uh, D.K. Metcalf when I was playing. That was, DMs look like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, wild. He is uh, – in all fairness, there still aren't any other receivers that look like D.K. Metcalf. He's in his own class.
1: Josh Gordon – Josh Gordon looked pretty close to that. I'm just saying, and you remember, he did have that 1,400-yard season in his second year with six different Cleveland Brown quarterbacks coming to
2: him. Yeah, no, the talent with Gordon was indisputable, but Metcalf, I I mean, that play, him running down Buda Baker, I mean, they'll be showing replays of that until you and I are 80 years old.
1: I'm going to send you two plays. Larry Allen against the Eagles ran down a linebacker 65 yards. Um, And then who's the other one? Ben Watson. Against Denver, okay. Champ Bailey, and Champ Bailey could fly,
2: and Bailey's he, a lot smaller than Watson.
1: Yeah, yeah, Bailey could fly, and and Watson came from the other side and uh, and hit the ball. It was incredible. And then I can show you me short, slow me getting ran down by three hundred and sixty pound Sean Andrews. And <laughs> but, but there was no speed to be had there by me, so it wasn't as impressive. Sorry, Sean, it was impressive that I mean you you outran me but the other two guys man it was like they caught some fast guys just Go like buddha's fast buddha's from up here you dub and he's he's a local legend uh you know husky favorite but that guy i remember because i was living in bellevue when he was going to school over there and i mean every day you hear about him like interception oh he had three touchdowns on offense it was like insane
2: Well, I definitely want to see all three of those plays. Lofa, before I let you go, because you talk about John Schneider and his brilliance and how he just turns out, guys, year in, year out. Next year, it's looking like the NFC West might, and I know it's early, might be far and away the best division in football. What do you think about the Matt Stafford deal? How does that impact that division? Because to me, I mean, just a tremendous upgrade from Goff, and obviously the Rams, even with Goff, beat you guys in the playoffs. So I want to know your thoughts.
1: You didn't have to take it there. on I mean. <laughs> what, what happened to perspective and silver linings, man? What, okay. You tell me, Staff, what do you love about Stafford? You tell me what you love.
2: I think if you watch Matt Stafford every week, this is a guy who makes Patrick Mahomes-like throws, who has incredible talent, and it doesn't get talked about because he plays for one of the worst organizations, not just in football, but in all of sports in the Detroit Lions. I think Stafford is a top 10 quarterback who just doesn't have any support, any weapons, you know, his all pro all everything receiver was forced into retirement at 30 because of the organization. I mean, I think Stafford's incredible. And I think Jared Goff, if if he doesn't have a great running back and the option of play action, I think he's a bottom 10 quarterback in the league.
1: Does this call into Stafford's ability to be a leader then? I mean, zero, zero playoff wins. Oh, Oh, for three. All right. I think what uh what's his name? Uh Goff has three playoff wins in one postseason. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm just saying it's you know, he didn't Goff didn't have a running back this time. He did, he did have a number one defense, yeah, but he didn't find a running game uh until the last two or three games um with Cam makers. Uh so I look, I don't think Goff's as bad as everybody's making him out to be. Um and I don't think Stafford's as great as everybody's making it, but he had, he had a Megatron. He had golden tape. They drafted two, not one, but two first round tight ends in Pettigrew and Ebron for him. Uh, so we can't say he never had weapons. Um, but the only thing I keep looking back to is and three in the playoffs. And I don't care how many yards you throw for that's alarming to me because are you a gamer? Are you, are you one or do you just crush it in the regular season and then, oh, no, this one actually counts?
2: <laughs> Interesting. That's my hot
1: take. That's my I, hot I take. love it.
2: All right. So I, I will ask you this. I lied saying I, that that was the last look, question. Look,
1: I, I do love watching him play. The kid's incredible. But I mean, no,
2: he, he's a stun. But no, I you know what? Because everyone I talked to about it at Radio Row, whether it was Dan Fouts, Marshall Falk, no matter who I talk to, they were all like, "Oh, the Rams are incredible. They're exponentially better now. Like they could be talked about as a Super Bowl favorite now." And honestly, I love the fact that you're the first person I've had on who says otherwise. But now I have to ask, going into next year, Stafford or Wentz? Because now Wentz is an Indianapolis Colt. Who do you think did better, the Rams or the Colts?
1: Uh, oh, Rams. Right. I mean, okay, I mean, all right. <laughs> yeah, wait. Like, uh, we haven't seen we haven't seen Wentz in the playoffs either, have we? Uh, no. So. Um, you know, Nick Foles won that, that, that Bowl. unfortunately for, for Wentz. Um, I don't know what happened to Wentz. He did not look good this year. And, um, you know, that's it's, it's tough, man. I don't know if he's battling through an injury or something, something I will give, this is what I will give Stafford credit for. That guy barely ever misses a game. I'm talking broken thumb, uh, broken ribs. He's played through it all. You know, he's so, um, you know, I give him credit for that because that, that, that's tough, but, um you know with Wentz I, I I didn't understand them taking on 40 million in guaranteed money over the next two years. I know Frank Wright, yeah that's, that's my guy you know that was my guy at least a couple of years ago when he was coaching with the, you know Philly but I would have I would have given a lot more and gone and getting you know go and get Deshaun <laughs> that's what I would have done.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, man. Look, Lofa, I know I told you before this all started, I'd have you on like 20 minutes. Naturally, it's been 40. You're, you're the best, man. There's no one else I'd rather chop it up with.
1: Hey, and I appreciate you, Josie. Sorry to all the listeners. I didn't tell him to take three weeks <laughs> off. I told him to take the night and a couple days to enjoy his youth and the Super Bowl that you know he just witnessed history. Tom Brady has more than any organization now. It's incredible. Um, wow. But um, okay, that's my last question. Sorry, I know you got to go, but uh, how many more years does Tom have left and do they have another run in them?
2: Oh, wow. How have the, have the tables have turned here. You're asking me the questions now. Yeah. You know, I thought the last two years, Tom really looked lackluster. I thought even in the Super Bowl win against the Rams, that his arm strength was not there. They won that with the league's best defense, 13 3. I thought last year, I actually picked Tennessee to upset them in the first round because I thought Tom just didn't have it last year. And this year, it looks like he did uh, against the Eagles. When even though he lost that Super Bowl, he put up 30-something points. You know, so Tom looks incredible. I don't know if it's the warm weather down in Florida. Blood's a little thinner, a little more nimble. I don't know what it is, but I mean, Tom looks amazing. He's definitely got, I think, at least two years left. Whereas I would have said before this season that he does two in Tampa and calls it quits. Now I think he's got two more, minimum.
1: I agree. Okay. What about, what are about the chances to repeat or, or make it back in his next? Cause he wants to play two more. I think he said at least, uh, you know, what, what do you think about their chances to get back to the big game?
2: I don't think that they repeat. Uh, I don't think they go back next year. I think if he plays two more that they can go back. Um, but I don't think next year, I, I could see him going back actually two years from now, which I would never imagine saying preseason and then finally retiring <laughs> Um, after that Super Bowl,
1: yeah, but, he, he's boy's never gonna retire.
2: <laughs> I mean, he, I genuinely think he wants to—he wants to try to play until he's fifty. I think that's his goal that he's keeping. Uh, you know, he's saying forty-five to the media, but I think for him it's fifty.
1: Yeah, I believe that. Why? Yeah. All right, Absolutely brother, wild. I appreciate you, man.
2: You're uh, the best, man. I appreciate you. Zone in CBD. Plug the website one more time before you bounce.
1: ZoneinCBD.com. You can uh, you can learn more. We got oh, we got. a – pre-workout slash energy mix coming out next week that I'm going to send to you brother. Oh, get out,
2: dude. I need that.
1: Oh, it's incredible. So how I've been been telling everybody it's, it's energy plus immune boost. And you know, when I go into my, my radio, I took it right before we came in here and you saw how I rattled off that draft class in 2010. So it makes me in my business meetings and in interviews, I feel like Bradley Cooper and limitless. And then and then in uh, in the weight room I feel like Ronnie called me going after another Mr Olympia.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can't wait to try it man. You're looking jacked as hell, Lofa. Always a great time. Make sure you stick around. My final words next here on Cerealo Sports Talk.
1: Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk.
2: It is time for my final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. And I hope now that you've heard it from the man himself, from Lofa Tatupu, who single-handedly, Against my will, discouraged me from having this show over the past three weeks. If anything, took away from you and your enjoyment more than he did for me. I hope now you can forgive me and now you understand why I haven't done the show. But with that said, what a spot from Lofa. I mean, he is just the best. Uh, There are obviously great interviews, did a lot of them at Radio Row, and then there are great guys. And a guy like Lofa is a great interview because he's a great guy, right? Because He's, you know, on that short list of guys I can call up anytime, be like, hey, let's do a show. Zero prep goes into it. You just call him up, you shoot the shit, and you're going to have a great, interesting, entertaining, fun conversation with the guy. Lofa's just the absolute best. Make sure you check out his product, Zone In CBD. It's really done wonders for me. It's done wonders for a lot of people. It's an incredible product, and Lofa wouldn't be selling it to you if it didn't really work. It benefited him first and foremost, in his own life, before he launched the company. For my final work on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk, episode 26, we got to focus on Tiger Woods, right? And and I was going to look at college basketball, which I haven't spent a lot of time on on the show because obviously football's been so prominent, and I was at Radio Row, and football is the focus because football is king when it comes to sports media. But I wanted to talk about college basketball can't do it right now, knowing what we know about Tiger Woods, which, let's be honest, isn't a whole lot. And there are a lot of people who want to jump the gun. You know, there was an initial report that said he had two broken legs. I think that was total just, you know, false reporting. Terrible reporting, frankly. Similarly to the Kobe Bryant crash. You know, sometimes people get so concerned with being first. Journalists, reporters get so concerned with being first that they don't get the facts right. And there's nothing worse in this industry than doing something like that. Not only for your own reputation, but for the reputation of the person that you're covering. Yes, your own credibility is out the window, but a lot of these people don't have much of a reputation or much credibility to begin with. That's why they're the ones throwing these totally false claims out there. You know, if the people who made these reports, if the people who reported about Kobe's helicopter crash incorrectly just to be first, and Tiger's car crash incorrectly just to be first, if they had a name for themselves, if they had credibility, they wouldn't be doing this because they would know it's more important to be right when there's something serious like this than it is to be first. You know, they're not—they're not reporting on uh, an athlete's call-up from the minor leagues, right? And missing a minor detail or a potential trade rumor, right? You're reporting on someone's well-being, their livelihood. You know, in Kobe's case, their death. In Tiger's case, something that you know with his past, with the guy has a DUI. There has been domestic violence. Now, mind you, it was his wife attacking him, not him attacking his wife. But, you know, the guy doesn't have a perfect past and something like this could, you know, really damage his reputation. If you're reporting instantly that he was in a car crash and it's suspected that drugs and alcohol were involved, no, that's not the case. It just seems like a really horrific, tragic car accident. And it's almost like people were rooting for Tiger Woods to be impaired. And that's what I have a real problem with. It's like people were rooting for their story more than rooting for the human being involved. And that's where journalism just takes an awful, disgusting twist. And if you're one of those people, it's an industry that you're not cut out for. Is it the entertainment industry? Absolutely. Well, I mean, depends. You know, I'm in the entertainment portion of the industry. The reporting portion is just about getting the facts right. And well reporting the story. So either way you cut it. Yes, you want your show, your story, whatever you're working on to go viral. It's nice, right? Everyone loves the fame and the recognition, but that's not the reason we do it. We do it for the audience. We do it for you. And if you're rooting for your story to get clicks more so than you're rooting for Tiger Woods to be okay, then there's something seriously wrong with you and you might as well give it up. Because this industry is obviously not cut out for you. If you're more concerned with Tiger Woods getting you clicks, getting you a potential viral opportunity, your five seconds of fame, than you are him being okay, his family being okay, you, the audience, who, you know, some of you out there listening might absolutely love and idolize Tiger Woods. It might be devastated right now. Well, I hope you're not. I hope you're okay. More than I hope a damn article gets 10,000 clicks on Twitter. You know, it's really disgusting, and those people need to hang it up. And as we learn more, we'll see what happened with Tiger. All I know right now is that one of my favorite sports memories ever was getting a chance to watch Tiger, watch Francesco Molinari, and watch Brooks Kepka at the PGA Championship at Bethpage back in May of 2019. One of my favorite sports memories ever. And I'm not the biggest golf fan, but getting to see Tiger in person just a couple months after he won the Masters, was an absolutely unrivaled sports moment. And I've been to the World Series, the Stanley Cup. I've been to the Super Bowl. I've seen a no-hitter. Watching Tiger Woods play live is right up there with all of that. And I hope he's okay, and I hope his family is okay, and I hope that anyone who rooted against Tiger Woods for their own personal benefit is not okay. Okay. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Look, don't be fooled. I know I just came back from a three-week vacation down in sunny Florida, but there are a lot of career opportunities currently in the works. So stay tuned. I'll come back with more on that as I find out more. And, of course, special thanks to my man Lofa for talking me out of being a dud while I was down in Florida and for coming on the show. Guys, see you next week.
0: I you.